0: Hey, everybody, it's Saturday, January 15th, and you are listening to the Peer Capital Podcast. Today on the podcast, it is the third week of the month, so we are talking about the capital march- markets. Uh, specifically today, we're going to talk about futures contracts, um, what those things are, how they get traded, why they actually exist in the world, and 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 what really what their purpose is. Uh, so that's what we're going to have some fun with uh, discussing today, and hopefully teaching you guys a little bit of some little bit of something about futures contracts out there in the world on commodities, stock indexes, and different currencies. So, with that, James, hop on, man. How are you doing
1: today? I'm doing great, Norm. I'm uh, excited to talk about this. I remember the first time I talked about futures was actually with you. Um, you know, back when we worked together, probably about five years ago. Uh, And since then, it's always been exciting to keep learning and, uh, you know, just evolving and and understanding kind of the benefits of futures and and how to train them and stuff. So I'm excited, man. Ever since getting that first uh, dose of futures, I've been I've been addicted since and have always been following them and and, uh, interested in what's going on in this market.
0: Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I mean, it it uh, futures contracts are probably one of the most pure ways um, that you can. Invest or speculate on um, specific commodities specific assets uh, is just one of the most to me one of the most powerful derivatives that are out there in the world that you can um, you can utilize to to really speculate in the market is what it gets right right down to but they have a lot of purpose behind them as well that we'll get into here in a second um, but before we do that let's just go through a quick uh quick kind of market roundup and and run through you know the last uh, last capital market podcast that we had, we talked in depth about inflation. Um, and the final, uh, CPI number came in for the month of December here this past week. Um, and it rounded out the year with a total CPI of 7% even so that inflation rate for the year, uh, came in at, at 7%. So Obviously, you know, if you want in-depth conversation on that, go back and listen to that specific podcast. But just to make a couple of comments on that, I mean, um, that's not good,
1: right, James? <laughs> no, it's I, not. No, it's not. Just
0: not a not a good thing. That means that our our uh, goods and services are, are um, you know, increasing in price or re- really what it means is that you're currency, the value of your currency and the purchasing power of your currency is uh, really degrading at 7% per year. So this year versus last year, you can purchase 7% less goods and services uh, with the money that uh, you have or the capital that you have. Um, So, you know, not a great, uh, not a great situation out there in the world when it comes to that. The other thing that it does is I think it puts the Fed in a really, um, a really tough position here. Uh, you know, and, and I think makes them almost forces their hands to do more rate hiking than what they would like to do. Now that's going to be interesting. I mean, I've, I've been uh, known for saying on here that, you know, that's not actually going to happen. They're not actually going to follow through with anything that they say they're going to do um, because they're going to be put, putting the hurt on and they're not, uh, not really interested in doing that. Um But you know they claim they're data dependent, and when you're seeing c p i like that when you've got good jobs numbers that are coming out and stuff like that 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 really puts them in a position where they're almost gonna have to be forced to do interest rate hikes and that is going to um kind of be a double whammy there you know you're getting beat up by inflation and then you're getting the hurt put on um by not being able to uh borrow it at rates that are affordable for people, so that makes it that makes it uh is going to make it tough. And uh, this thing's been a long time, long time coming when you get right down to it. But all right, the next, any comments there, James, before we move on to the next one here?
1: No, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's uh, just crushing, you know, the middle class and folks that are getting, like you said, double whammied. So hopefully people are kind of waking up to that double whammy and and trying to do their best to figure out how they can hedge against it, or at least, um, you know, start addressing some of these things. Because like you said, I, I think it's here.
0: Yep, I agree. All right, let's jump over to the S and P 500. So the stock market uh, this week um, kind of closed closed down at forty six sixty four. Uh, so the S and P 500 is off about right around three percent off the top as we head into op- options expiration week. Um, you know, opex week is is one of those things as as um, as options are being unwound uh, and and your dealers are are having to. Um, hedge those back back out uh, and close those positions out. You know, a lot of times that it, it one of two things typically happens: either you get drilled further into the ground or you um, catch a bid. Uh, and my guess heading into this op, opex is that uh, we're going to keep getting uh, kind of pushed down into the ground. So I'm I'm really when it comes to my futures trading, just in general, I'm looking for market to uh, roll. Rolled down to somewhere in the, you know, fifty four forty five thirty eight, uh, maybe a little bit, a little bit lower than that. Maybe all the way down to forty four fourteen on the S and P um, as we head through the week and into the Monday after options expiration. Usually, uh, you know, th- that's usually where I'm looking for things to start catching a bid. But man, prior to that point, um, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm Cautious. Obviously, you you never know what the market's going to do. It 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 has a mind of its own, and it it uh, seeks out to cause the most pain to the most people when it comes to to the trading world. So, um, you know, that's my kind of outlook on it. I think we're going to see more um, downside from here, uh, at least through uh, Monday of of the following week. Any comments on the S P, James?
1: uh no i'm i mentioned to talk about bitcoin
0: <laughs> okay okay well how, let's let's uh let's jump to bitcoin first then and then we'll, then we'll we'll go back to crude oil after that so bitcoin what do you what do you got yeah for
1: I, I i love uh, honestly going after the s&p and when talking about it because i think the trap that a lot of people have fallen into um is there's a lot of people who are you know claiming Bitcoin, um, you know, as as digital gold, which definitely has some use cases there. But then the, then they're also tacking on this thought process of, well, hey, it's it's separate and, and independent from, you know, things like the S&P 500 and some of these like high growth tech stocks that that, that folks are really comparing it to. Uh, but when you really look at how it's been moving, uh, since the markets have been moving and, and what's been happening, it's following suit. Uh, and so it's, it's interesting that There's a large set of people out there that really have this thought that, hey, it's completely, it operates, you know, independently of the markets and um, doesn't really, you know, go in the same way that they do. But, you know, in the past 30 days, really, since, you know, the end of December, we were pushing up, I think, right before the new year, the last couple of days, we were around 50,000 of Bitcoin, you know, and then really since the start of the new year, we've had a bleed off. Um, going all the way down, bottom out, right below um, like 40. I think we hit 39 at one point in the past couple days. Um, and, you know, it just continued to bleed a little bit. There's been a little bit of a rally the past couple days. We've pushed back up into uh, you know, the, the low mid to mid 40s. But it just shows you that I, I really do think that it's following suit with a lot of the, um, you know, high growth things that are starting to take a hit right now. Uh, And so it'll be interesting to see for, you know, the rest of the year how this is going to unfold and if it's going to, you know, stay pretty similar and in line with the S&P 500 uh, or if it's going to kind of start to chart its own path. But right now it's been taking a hit. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there who feel like, uh, you know, the end of this past year was a really great time to to offload, uh, especially if you were in before 2020. Um. So you know, a lot of speculation going on right now in that market. A lot of hands moving around, money moving around, um, and I think people are just kind of pausing and and seeing where this thing's going to go compared to the S and P 500 and other parts of the market. Very,
0: very good. So let's, you know, you talked about digital gold, right? Let's let's talk about actual gold here, real quick. So gold continues to be pinned to 1804. Uh it's literally been running a trade range around eighteen eighteen hundred and four dollars um since November of last year. Uh no heck, November of 2020. What am I talking about? Um and it's uh it it is doing a whole bunch of nothing. So I, I wonder how um you know, do you think that there's any relation to uh gold prices and Bitcoin prices at all, or do you think that Bitcoin is more tied to uh things like the nasdaq and the s p five hundred
1: I think there's a large set like i I think there's a sorry not a large set I think there's a subset of people who really genuinely view um you know Bitcoin as a similar hedge against inflation just as the way that gold operates uh I do think it's a little bit different um you know and I think that this story that's been told the past month. Would agree with that uh you know as you said gold's been kind of just sitting tight kinda trying to figure things out uh bitcoin has not it's kind of just completely shed i think it was 10 or 11 percent in the past 30 days um so the story says you know based off that that it's going to fall at least right now it's following the s&p 500 and following the general broader markets and where they're going uh but there's you know that's that's the biggest argument in the community, right? Is uh, is it is it is it the digital gold, and it's gonna have the same behaviors and 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 behave the same way that traditional gold has in the past when these types of situations happen, uh, or is it gonna behave more like the SP five hundred, and is it just gonna lose massive amounts of, of uh, you know market cap and continue to the rest of the year to kind of go down? So. I I think right now my opinion on it is that it's following more of the broader markets, the S P 500. But you know we'll have to see as things play out with the Fed more and uh, inflation continues and and maybe some interest interest rate hikes come we'll to see what happens. I don't know. What are your thoughts on it, Norm?
0: Yeah, I you know I don't know on that one. It's it's interesting. I don't, they just to me they behave um, they behave very differently. Uh, and actually, I think Bitcoin's a little bit more like. Uh, some of these different tech stocks and stuff like that that are out there. But at, at the same time, don't get me wrong, you know, you, you caught a major bid um, going into this inflationary outlook. And and uh, that, um, you know, theoretically, if if we start tightening uh, and that inflation does get cramped down a little bit, um, Bitcoin should get uh, should get waxed with that a little bit. But we'll see. We'll just kind of see what happens here as time goes by. The other thing that I'll note is that I think the more and more of these ETFs and stuff like that that gets spun up, um, the more that Bitcoin is going to be exchanged uh, through those, and then all of a sudden, it's really going to start looking like
1: <laughs> a general market, right? Yeah, for for sure. what What's your What's your general outlook on, um, you know, gold? Uh, the actual, you know, like hard gold, right? Not not the digital gold, and Bitcoin, but just actual gold. What's your outlook on that for the year? Um, Kind of with what's going on, inflation, some of the, the moves the Federal Reserve have, have said they're going to do. We don't know if they'll do them, obviously, but based off what they said they're going to do, what's your outlook on that for the year? Okay, so I'm going to be
0: brutally honest with you right now. I have no idea. Um, If you asked me, if you asked me this question last year, I would have said to you, okay, you know, gold's going to catch this catch this huge bid. We're going to see 2,500 out of gold and gold has been pinned at 1804 since last, since November of 2020. So yeah, gold continues to prove me wrong over and over and over again. And it continues to be the most difficult thing, uh, out there for me to trade. So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to just, uh, my, my prediction is, uh, 1804, um, throughout 2022. So. (laughs) So if I, love I say it. that, if I say that, it'll probably we'll probably see twenty five hundred or maybe a thousand. Who knows?
1: <laughs> I have no idea on gold. I'll be honest. No, that, I mean that makes sense. It's uh, I mean, what are your thoughts around how you know? I mean, gold has always had a very traditional place in terms of for investors. It's it's fit, like very specific use cases and narr- in narratives. Um, and then you know, obviously, Bitcoin came along and has kind of created its own narrative um you know how do you how do you view you know do you think that the narrative has changed for traditional gold and folks maybe aren't uh buying into it as much and they're buying into things like bitcoin or other other speculative very speculative assets or what's kind of your thoughts on that
0: can you hear me sorry i uh i pushed the wrong button there and pulled myself out of the the speaker realm, if you can pull it back up. Yeah. Okay. Um, man, that, that question is that it's so hard to, it's so hard to say for me. Um, you know, I, I kind of take a, take a different view on gold than what I think a lot of people do. And, and that is that it's, it's a hard commodity that I want to hold. Um, but I want to hold because I know that it's going to retain its purchasing power in the situation of like catastrophic failure. Right. So, the um, We inflate the currency to zero or we completely default um, and we have to, you know, try something new. Uh, I, to me, gold's the thing that we got to go back to. I don't think that Bitcoin has its uh, legs when it comes to that. I, I just don't think that that would be the uh, what we divert to. Um, that being said, you know, there's a lot of people that do. So, you know, is, is Bitcoin pulling uh, pulling capital, uh, its way and away from gold. There's a, there's a very good chance that that, that could be the case. I just, um, you know, I, I just, I don't know on that one. That one's, that one's such a, such a tough one. And, and gold has been acting like the way that I traditionally believe gold to, to act, to think and act. It just hasn't been acting like that. So it's very, it's very difficult for me to kind of pinpoint,
1: um, what that answer is, you know? Yeah, no for sure. So in summary kind of your your thesis with gold is is, you know, really just in the catastrophic situation, you're going to have something you're holding for the long term whether that's 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Um you're kind of accruing a position there and using that as, you know, if the 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 ultimate bad thing happens, then you're at least in a position where you're kind of ready and have something that can be easily traded for goods or services, you know, in that situation that the dollar completely goes or, or we kind of have to reset
0: yeah i i typically don't hold okay so if i'm going to trade gold like if i want to make some money on the on the squiggles right i'm gonna uh on a little bit of price action i'm going to trade futures contracts on gold but i am not in the business of buying gold to hold uh because i think it's going to go up <laughs> in price and then i'm going to trade it out um i will buy hard coin and store that hard coin and store a, a portion of um, those assets, you know, away uh, to retain purchasing power in the situation of catastrophic failure. Right. So, if we do, you know, if we if we go down the path of the Weimar Republic or or uh, Zimbabwe or uh, some of these other countries who have who have inflated their way to zero, um, you know, you got a million dollars sitting in the bank that. That million dollars is zero, right? But if you have, you know, say, ten percent of that setting over in gold, or gold coin, or bullion, or or uh, even silver, um, then you can take that, and you can go and exchange that, um, you know, for a, a different currency if you're trying to, say, escape that specific country. Um, or just use that simply as a bartering tool uh, for goods and services uh, when that, that time comes because that is going, it's a global market and it's going to hold its value on a global scale. Um, so there's always going to be some value to that even if your dollar bill is worth zero. Um, so, you know, that's the way that I hold gold. And then if I want to speculate on price action or try to, make, try to make money in a gold market, I'll trade futures contracts to be able to do that.
1: That may, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. It's a kind of a double, double-sided approach there. with The actual owning of the you know underlying hard asset, like you said, in coins, and then when you're trying to catch a wave or catch some price action in between, you'll you know take the speculative approach and, and trade the futures contract. That, that's that's pretty interesting. That, that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, last last market to hit here before we actually talk some futures contracts here is uh, the crude oil market. So. Crude oil market is just absolutely ripping higher um, once again, uh, so we're up to eighty four twenty seven was uh, the closing print had a big big day uh, two and a half or two point six two percent day um, on Friday as we headed into the close uh, and closed right back up at uh, previous highs um, after having uh, you know this this sell off at the beginning of December uh, that sold us down to sixty Two dollars. Um, we just, you know, cruised right back up to eighty four fifty eight. Um, so you know, everybody uh, um, get ready for higher prices in in that market. And man, that you know, you want to talk about the double the double pinch. You get inflation going, inflation cooking. Um, then you have uh, crude oil uh, ripping higher, and potentially. Uh, The Fed, you know, putting the crimp down on interest rates like, gosh, that is that's about as painful as it can can possibly get. Um, And and obviously not a lot of that's hitting hitting people hard yet. But, you know, I think that uh, these crude oil prices keep marching higher. And that is that's going to put the hurt on a lot of people because, um, you know, not a lot of people know, know this or, or recognize this. But crude oil is in everything. Like literally everything, all everything that we do, all your plastics, your plastics, your asphalt, your um a lot of products that are out there in the world are crude oil um based. So, you know, we've we've talked a lot about crude oil in the past and how we think that or at least how I think that uh some of the the uh negative press that crude is getting is gonna um really hurt uh it, us as a whole you know hurt the the consumer out there um, and that continues to to happen Cons- prices continue to get pushed up and and uh you know some of that has to do with inventories and some of it has to do with just uh f- federal government's um you know view of things like like crude oil and and the investment capital that is or is not going into it so uh again crude oil on a bid um i would I would be looking for this thing to just keep, uh, keep bidding higher. All right. So, uh, with that, that, that's kind of rounds up the markets here. So we are going to dive into, um, futures contracts and just give kind of a, a holistic view of what these things are, what they do and, and how you can utilize them out there. Um, as a speculator, as an investor, uh, but also what what's their actual purpose um, in life? Why do they exist? Uh, why are they out there and, and what what is the reason that they are here for us to utilize both in from a market standpoint but also from a a, a producer and, and consumer standpoint as well? Um, so futures markets uh, just as a basis like the, the definition of a futures market, or of a futures contract it's a it's a legally binding agreement um, to buy or sell a particular commodity or asset so there's lots of different markets that are out there and i'll kind of go through what those different markets are Um, but you're buying and selling at a specific price uh, to take delivery for a specific time to take delivery in the future Uh, so really what that means is um, you're saying you know, I want to purchase this commodity or this asset, um, at a set price. And there's somebody who's out there who's taking the other side of that, who's saying, I'm willing to sell you this at this set price, um, out into the future. Uh, so, you know, the, when we think about this, um, probably the best example, uh, we'll just use the, use the oil example, because that's kind of a, an easy one to understand. Um, so, one futures contract controls one thousand uh, barrels of oil. Um, so, with one futures contract, you can purchase one thousand barrels of oil. And usually, what you're going to do is you're going to go into the market and uh, say that I am a, um, say that I'm an airline, just as an example, uh, and I want to hedge my uh, oil price or my future or my fuel price out into the future you know they they're using a lot of uh, refined jet fuel uh, to be able to fly around and operate their business well if they know that at um, we'll say forty dollars a barrel and these these you know these numbers are not accurate I'm just pulling them out of the air here but they know that at 40 dollars $40 a barrel um, we're in good shape and we're going to be able to make money um, but at 60 uh, we go broke. Right? One of the things that they will do is they'll actually go out into the market and they will cut a deal um, and write a futures contract uh, with a, say, an oil company. We'll use as the example here. Uh, typically, there's going to be a speculator in the middle of that, or an investor in the middle of that. But they cut a deal saying that the oil company will sell them um, oil at 40 dollars a barrel out, say, seven months from now, for example. Um, So seven months from now, uh, they will buy 1,000 barrels of oil at $40. And that contract is set. And at that time, they're going to take delivery of that 1,000 barrels of oil at the $40 uh, marker. Now, the spot price of oil could go all over the place within that interim. Um, so let's just say that that barrel of oil or those thousand barrels of oil, uh, the oil price goes down to twenty dollars. So seven months out, the spot price or the current market price of oil is twenty dollars, and they have a contract to pay forty dollars for it. They have to pay forty dollars for that oil. Um, now, the oil producer that's out there just made uh, the spread of $20 on a thousand barrels of oil. So they sold their oil for more um, than what the spot price of oil or what they could traditionally get it at the market at Um, that being said, However, you know, they contracted that out and that was done. So that's the way that that, that transaction goes down. Um, So in that situation, the producer, uh, you know, kind of made out like a bandit um, by selling their oil for 40, Uh, when the spot price is 20. Now, to play the other side of that, let's say that the uh, airline um, who contracted at $40 a barrel, uh, we go out seven months and the oil price is $100 a barrel. Well, they still get their oil at $40 a barrel. Um, So that's just kind of the the advantages that go along with that. It allows uh, consumers of that oil to effectively hedge out and ensure some sort of fixed price on that oil that they feel comfortable with out into the future. Um, It also allows a producer to be able to sell that oil at a fixed price um, that they're comfortable with, right? And in this example, that fixed price is $40 a barrel. So the airline makes money, the um, oil producer makes money, And everybody is theoretically uh, happy in that situation. So the in-between or where uh, guys like me come in at, on different investors and different speculators is we typically take the other side of whichever of those trades are. Um, So for instance, let's use the, let's hop back to the, uh, to the example, to this example again and and say, okay, the airline wants to do a seven month contract at $40 a barrel. Um, But the oil producer uh, doesn't make any money at $40 a barrel. So they're not going to do that, right? They're not going to cut that contract. Well, a guy like me might come in and say, okay, I'll do that deal with you. You know, I will cut that contract with you. And then it's my job to effectively uh, you know deliver on that oil at that price of 40 dollars a barrel. Now, if I was doing that deal and I am, am selling them that oil uh, at 40 dollars a barrel, um, then I am, I am effectively looking for price change in that, that results in me making more money on that. So my expectation would be, okay, oil price is going to go down in the future. And seven months from now, when I have to deliver this oil to this airline, I am going to be able to go to the producer of oil and buy it at $20 a barrel and then sell it back to the, um, Sell it back to the airline at forty dollars a barrel because that 's the contract that we put together uh, with each other um, you know to, for the sale of of oil so in that situation let 's just say that it does go down to twenty dollars a barrel, and seven months out, I can go purchase a thousand barrels of oil at the spot price of twenty dollars a barrel, um, and then I can sell that thousand barrels at, uh, $40 a barrel back to the airline. That's the difference between 40 minus 20. So we've got $20 a barrel, uh, times 1000, which means that I made a $20,000 profit on that transaction. Now, the, obviously that can go in the other direction. Um, say that it goes to $60 a barrel and I have to go deliver that $40 contract back to the airline, um, then I lose $20,000. And that's uh, what those futures contracts, as a broader market or as a holistic market, that's what those future, futures contracts are really for, uh, is to add liquidity to the market so that those producers and consumers can contract out their hard good uh, to one another in a way that makes sense for their business model. So I I just went through a whole bunch of stuff there, James. I'm going to pause for a second um, and let you just uh, kind of quiz me on that or, or give any comments to to what I just said there. Did anything that I make that I said make sense to you? Let's start there.
1: It Absolutely made sense. I think anytime you're talking through the mechanics of these things, you have to have pretty concise examples with numbers and things like you did. So I think you did a great job of kind of walking through. The, the mechanics of it I think for me early on when trying to first understand futures and when I've talked with you know friends about it as well who maybe just traditionally have traded stocks uh, the hardest thing to kind of wrap your wrap your mind around at least f- for for me was just understanding that there's like actual goods that companies are trading these contracts on that they rely on like you said right whether it's an airline uh, or, or any other example or I know like Starbucks for coffee, or or whatever it is, there's actual companies that you know are have a team of people who are doing these these trades to, like you said, predict you know for their pricing forecasting, et cetera. And then the actual, you know, trading, like for someone like you or me, like you said, is you're kind of taking a bet against their decision and the, the things that the broader market is kind of betting on, and you're sticking your flag in the ground and saying, hey, I'm gonna this is the position I'm gonna take. And you're basically just speculating on what these these larger entities are doing and, and kind of taking an approach either on their side or against them. Uh, I think once I understood that, it was a lot easier to understand because um, it is a little bit, you know, it's it's different compared to the traditional stocks uh, where it's a lot easier to kind of realize, OK, you know, I'm trading for every stock I buy, I'm buying it it's one single corporation. You know, and and, and I'm trading that back and forth to other people who then want to either buy or sell that same share in that corporation. Whereas this is like you're doing that, but it's with goods. And then there's other parties who maybe you're actually going to use those goods for their production or or ways to create things that they get produced into the economy. Um, So I I personally think that's why futures are really cool and unique. Uh, I think people who who naturally are more interested in the broader uh, things going on in economies and productions and all that. like trading them because it adds this you know interesting layer of of how things are affected across the futures markets but i think you did a great job of explaining that so i just i just kind of wanted to summarize it though and and see uh because i mean that was the hardest thing for me was was that delineation between those
0: yeah definitely definitely and and you know there's a lot of um there's a lot of contracts being exchanged at any given day so you know i i said that um in my example and this was just the reason i gave the example that way it was just to, to try to give people an understanding what the real kind of purpose of of a futures contract really was um, and but there's a lot of contracts being traded on a daily basis so it's not like i just have to buy and sell and write a contract uh to a producer or a consumer of that specific commodity It could simply be me writing contracts with other speculators, betting on price appreciation or depreciation of that specific market. So, you know, if we stick with the crude oil example, like I could simply be saying, I think crude oil is going up and I buy a futures contract on crude oil going up. And another speculator is out there saying, I think crude oil is going down and they are selling me that contract um because they think the price of crude oil is going down and uh, you know at the end of that whenever that trade gets closed out or if that trade expires um then we exchange money right and uh you know either i owe them money or they owe me money based on where that uh where that oil went now without that, you know, all those speculators kind of going around and, and, um, you know, making trades and, and creating bets on where that market is going is what ensures that there is continuously a spot price for oil. So, you know, you never, you can go to the oil market and you can buy oil and you always have an updated price to, uh, what oil costs per barrel, you know, in the past prior to to being in these types of situations where you had these kind of liquid fluid markets that are continuously going through price discovery and continuously, um, marking and saying what things are being sold at, you know, the market was much less efficient. It was much more difficult to go. You had to go to a producer and get them to give you a price, um, And how are they going to price that, right? Typically, they're going to try to price that based off of what they see out of the market. And if there's not continuous trades going on or a liquid market, it's going to be very difficult to actually come to a negotiated price. Uh, With these um, speculators and investors and and different people, uh, producers, consumers in the market all at once, continuously trading these contracts back and forth, you have a spot price that is there and is relatively liquid uh, to be able to go to the market and actually, you know, uh, cr- create a situation where you can purchase this stuff and know exactly what that price is at that given time, which is a- just another kind of cool market dynamic associated with uh, how that stuff, uh, you know, really kind of works. So that just gives a little bit more, a um, little bit more kind of thought and, and clarity, I think to that. Uh any questions on that, James, before I kind of move on to this next part here of of how that speculation is done?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean the liquidity is obviously necessary in every market, so it's an important piece to to have that for uh for everyone involved that that's trying to speculate or actually get goods for their for their businesses.
0: All right. Good deal. So uh let's let's just move into and and we'll stick with the crude oil example here because i think it's a good example to um kind of carve down the path on but in order to trade futures contracts uh typically what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to go to a broker and you are going to have to um answer a bunch of questions and go through and they have certain conditions that they uh you know kind of put on different traders to be able to allow you to go into Uh, those types of markets and trade those types of markets. So you have to go through that process. You have to have a little bit of experience um, behind that within uh, just, you know, trading markets in general um, before they're going to allow you to uh, actually set up that futures futures account so that you can uh, can trade those markets. But uh, what they're going to do is once you get through that, then you, you effectively can uh, buy and sell contracts on margin uh, for these different different uh, commodities, different assets that are out there um, that are, are tradable. And there's tons of them. And I'll go through just a a brief list here in a second, but uh, just to, to use crude oil again, as an example. Um, So one contract, uh, you are controlling 1000 barrels of oil. Um, Now there is going to be a margin that you're going to have to put up to control that contract. And On the other side of that, uh, the the broker or the banker or whoever is doing the clearing is going to effectively put up the remainder of that capital for that contract in so many words. And that's not necessarily how the mechanics work, but just for simplicity's sake, uh, you only have to put up a small portion of that capital uh, to be able to control that contract. So these are very highly leveraged instruments you might only have to put up say 5% of the capital um, to be able to control that contract. So crude oil, as the example, uh, you know, for one contract of crude oil, your initial margin that you have to put up is $8,932 right now. And that's going to, uh, that's going to change as time goes by based on price and volatility. Um, But at the current price or at the current moment, uh, your initial margin is $8,932. So uh, that's what it's going to cost to be able to trade one of these contracts. Now, the um, value of that contract or how you make and earn money based on uh, the price going up and down is, is that the tick value. So the tick value associated with crude oil uh, for every one cent move in crude oil you will make or lose $10. So as an example here, um, let's just say that we buy a futures contract. What we're doing when we buy this futures contract is we are saying, we are making a bet that the oil market or oil, crude oil, is going to go up in value. And therefore, we are going to make money as oil increases in its dollar value per barrel, and we are going to lose money as oil decreases in its dollar value per barrel. And the rate at which we're going to make and lose money is $10 per one cent. So if crude oil goes up 10 cents, we make a hundred bucks. If crude oil goes down 10 cents, we lose a hundred bucks. Um, so that, that's really the kind of the mechanics uh, that go along with that, and it's it's probably the most pure play that you can have on crude oil. You know, I think a lot of people they'll go out to the uh, go out to the stock market and find different oil companies that they want to trade, or they go out and they they uh, find ETFs that are kind of correlated to oil. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, that just is not a pure play on oil. If you want a pure play on oil, uh, a futures market is really as pure of a play as it can get so um crude oil on friday you know it went up two dollars and 62 cents so if i had if i was long crude oil um if i was long crude oil on uh on friday you know and it went up two dollars and 62 cents and it's trading at 10 cents or ten dollars per one cent. Uh, then there was uh, t- two thousand six hundred and twenty dollars uh, that I would have made in that market um, on that day if I would have been long long crude oil. So that's kind of how the mechanics of that of that works and the mechanics of that trade works. Does that make sense, James?
1: Absolutely, I, I mean that makes a, a ton of sense. Uh, and I know, you know, previously we talked, uh, you know, when you first were, kind of teaching me the ropes on some future stuff, um, you know, the aspects of margin and how they can be used um, and leveraging up. Obviously, you got to be, you know, very careful with how you do it. Um, but you know, I think that's something that's interesting about futures contracts. One question—I know you've already hinted to some of the things—but what kind of in like a, a a quick hitter? What are what are some of the Advantages or disadvantages in your mind of, you know, trading futures versus trading, you know, the traditional stocks that most people are, are used to trading. Um, so I think
0: it's a direct play on uh, to me, the, the biggest advantage is that it's a direct play on the actual on actual oil. Right. You can have a uh, oil producer, you know, that um, oil could be going up in value and their stock's not going up in value because maybe they don't have a good, a good business around getting that oil out of the ground and bringing it to market, or maybe they're, you know, drilling a bunch of dry holes, or, you know, there's a multitude of different reasons why a stock that you would think would be directly correlated to oil is not increasing in value, despite the fact that the oil price is going directly up. So to me, that's why I, I, love futures is because it is a direct play on that oil. You're literally controlling a thousand barrels of oil per contract. So as the oil price is increasing and decreasing, uh, you have exposure to that very specific market. Um, The other thing that I think is an advantage is uh, an advantage and a disadvantage, don't get me wrong here, is the fact that you are you have a lot of leverage, right? You're, you know, you're putting up a lot of times, uh, you know, 10% margin, um, to be able to control all that, all that oil that's out there, uh, or that thousand barrels of oil. Um, you know, so that gives you a lot more bang for your buck if you're right. Right. But, uh, leverage can be a very dangerous thing, and and if you're wrong, you're going to lose a lot of money very quickly. Um, so, you know, but I I like doing business in a levered way. Uh, I can measure out my risk reward much more effectively that way, and and really get more bang for my buck. In my opinion, uh, you know, I've been doing this for a while. Though be be very cautious with leverage because you can lose a lot of money very quickly, and it. It can cause uh can cause a lot of pain and be a be a tough learning experience when you go through that process as well. But I mean that's to to me those are the advantages uh and the disadvantages there when it comes to, to futures.
1: Yeah, no, I mean that that's interesting. I think that's provides kind of a good, you know, an analysis for anyone who's listening that maybe has only traded you know, the more traditional stocks that folks are used to, but has been curious about futures or, you know, really was trying to understand the dynamics of the benefits of it. So I think that's very, very much value add. All right. Good deal. Well,
0: let's, uh, I'm, I'm just going to run through some of the different uh, contracts that are out there and, and what you can actually trade when it comes to futures. Um I, I Wanted today to give kind of a broad-based overview uh, to everybody of what futures contracts are and maybe give you a little bit of knowledge on how you, how you trade them. My, my suggestion is, gosh, go out there and just try to get as educated as humanly possible on these types of things. These are highly uh, risky assets. However, they are the most effective way to get direct, um, you know, direct exposure to specific commodities and specific assets. Um, so I think that there's definitely, they're definitely a good tool to have in your, in your toolbox. Um, but you know, as, as always from our standpoint, you know, w- we're just out here trying to give information and that's, that's literally all, all we're doing is, is giving information to people. So please, please go do your own diligence on this type of stuff. Uh, go seek financial advice from, uh, from professionals. And if you're going to uh, get into the world of of trading futures contracts, make sure that you're doing the work and the diligence to uh to really understand how that how that works so I just wanted to give everybody kind of a broad overview on what those are and and how those um, how those operate in some way shape or form because I think the reality is if you don't if you don't know that they're out there uh then it's a it's a whole world that you you know don't know what the opportunity is and and once I discovered these things i it really uh, opened my eyes to the ability of how the markets work and how uh, just kind of the world works in general. But uh, in futures contracts, you can trade all different types of commodities. So, uh, you know, I, I commonly trade crude oil, gold, um, copper futures, uh, silver futures, uh, NASDAQ futures. So there are futures on the NASDAQ futures on the S and P 500 And just a slew of different things that you can can trade, coffee, live cattle, uh, different currency pairs. Um, So if you want to uh, go out and trade uh, the British pound, there are futures contracts for the British British pound, Um, gasoline futures, uh, treasury bills. Um, So two-year, five-year, 10-year, 30-year treasury bills. Um, are traded uh if you want to trade um some of the the different grains that are out there uh you know wheat futures soybean futures rice futures oats uh corn futures are all um different uh futures contracts that are out there that can be that can be traded and and that you can take the you know the other side of a of a or create a fixed price for a farmer to sell their wheat into uh, the market with. And, and I I believe in the U S that's really how futures got started. We're um, in Chicago farmers contracting out, uh, you know, primarily I believe corn prices um, as they bring them in for uh, delivery and bring that crop in for, for delivery to have that fixed price. That's out there in the world, but so many different things, so many kind of cool things that you can, can trade in markets that you can understand um, when you start to get into the realm of uh, futures contract trading. So I think that kind of kind of brings the overview in for a for a wrap up, James. What kind of what kind of questions do you have or comments
1: before we bring this thing in for for a close? I think I think it's been great to just give the broad overview of of the dynamics and mechanics of uh, of futures. Um, you know, I think folks probably really want to hear about i mean you covered it but they just want to know like what's the difference or what is it um and you know i I don't have any questions on it i know uh if you want to i think we've got a caller in uh that we could pull up for for questions uh if you want to move to that but i think it was a great overview gives us this synopsis that people need to really make a decision on if they want to you know dip their feet uh into the futures world and kind of kind of give it a try
0: yeah i'm 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 happy to
1: I just invited you up to speak, Norm. So if you jump up as a speaker, and then I can uh, add the next person to the queue. Eh,
0: I'm not seeing what you're talking about here, James.
1: Let's see if I can... Uh... I'll just try to invite them up as well, see if they got it. Yeah, there we go. We got them up here.
2: Hey, can you hear me all right? Yeah, how's it going? Yeah. Nice, good. Thank you both for this conversation. I'm newer to your channel, so um, again, yeah, really appreciate your insights. I'm not as well-versed in uh, all of the specific language surrounding all this, and like you were saying, the actual mechanism, so it's really interesting to hear this. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, My question is a little bit different, so I'm newer to your channel. Point me towards a different um, one of these call-ins that you've had that may touch on this, or in general, let me know if this is a topic you're going to touch on in the future, because it is, uh, I can imagine, a broader conversation and longer conversation related to it. Um, I was curious what your thoughts are since you sort of have your finger more on the pulse it seems like in terms of the stock market what are your thoughts on jerome powell uh being uh reinstated as the fed chair and his uh current recent comments related to um pulling back from the quantitative easing that's been taking place over the course of the pandemic and slightly before that i'm just sort of curious what your thoughts are in terms of the overall uh potential for a recession based on the fed actually pulling back um and uh, the changes that might occur there due to them just not wanting to give as much free money anymore. Again, I know it's a longer conversation. Point me towards if it's going to be later or if you have any other comments, past comments on it. But I just want to sort of hear your thoughts since you're well-versed in, and in, the, in the whole realm of this, it seems.
1: Absolutely. I really appreciate the question. I'll, I'll hit the, the first part of it and then throw it over to Norm for, for his thoughts and stuff on drum, And then I'll kind of add on there. But we do have an episode uh, where we went pretty in-depth on inflation. Uh, I believe it was maybe episode seven, but we just titled it Inflation. Uh, It was also a capital markets episode. And then to give you a quick, you know, higher level synopsis of our show, uh, we do a show every Saturday live at 10 a.m. Eastern. And every week we cover something different. So for each week of the month, we have a topic. Uh, The first week of the month is real estate. So every, every Saturday, the first week of the month, we'll talk about something with real estate. Second week of the month is startups. So we'll talk about startups, raising capital, that type of stuff. Third week of the month is this week, which is capital markets. As you can see we're talking about futures last time uh, last month. We talked about inflation, where we covered some of those things that you just asked about. Uh, and then the last week of the month is founder updates and kind of just an open forum where we just talk about what's going on, what Norm and I are working on in each of our businesses, um, and then kind of have that rotating, you know, each week throughout the month. So I'll throw it over to Norm. Uh, Norm, what are your thoughts on, you know, some of the things that have come out with Jerome Powell? Uh, you know, he was just kind of talking with Congress um, and essentially going up for his nomination and talking through that. And he had some comments about, you know, just everything going on. And then also your thoughts on, you know, some of the quantitative easing being pulled back and, and the potential, you know, interest rate spikes. And uh, I'm curious, Chipmunk, you know, weigh in as well on, on any other additional questions.
0: Yeah, for sure. No, great. So great. First off, great question. I I uh, love that question. And this is one of my favorite things to talk about. So, <laughs> you know, because the Fed um, definitely uh they at least um at least people think that they have a lot of power over over the market and you know i would i would make the argument that they do but uh there's other people that are out there if you you know listen to jeff snyder a little bit he'll make the point that you know maybe they don't have as much power as they think they do the bond market really uh probably controls more of that than um than you would be led to believe but Uh, That aside, let's just talk about Powell himself. So he's talking about uh, tapering asset purchases. He's talking about reducing the number of assets that they're out there purchasing in the market. So reducing the amount of quantitative easing. One thing that I want to say, and that I want to point out real quick is he's just tapering the, the purchases. So he's, they're still doing quantitative easing. They're just not purchasing as much as what they did in the past. Now, as long as that continues to happen and they're just kind of tearing down on the on the easing that they're doing, uh, my thought is everything continues to catch a bid. The Money's still easy as long as those interest rates stay low and they're not kind of lifting off of that zero interest rate. Or they don't go into a quantitative tightening standpoint where not only are they not buying assets, but they're actually – selling assets off their balance sheet back into the market and effectively reducing the amount of money supply that's out there in the world. um, Then I think things continue to just kind of click along. Uh, One thing that I'll say is I think that kind of the broad economy is not as there's a lot of imbalances out there um, because of the amount of QE that we did and the amount of fiscal spending that we did. There's a lot of imbalances out there in the market, um, inflation's running a little hot, and oil prices are are through the roof, and that causes, uh, you know, kind of a lot of causes imbalances and it causes a lot of chaos in the markets. So I would make the point that the broader economy is not as strong as it uh, kind of looks like, but at the same time, with inflation uh, up at with CPI up at seven percent the Fed is kind of being put in a box where Powell's is going to have to do or try to do something about it. And if he does start to uh, raise interest rates and he does start to go from QE to no QE or even uh, quantitative tightening where they're selling off assets into the market, uh, then it, it definitely is going to put a, And it's going to put the hurt to the economy because I don't think that things are as strong as they are. Um, So if they do do that, it's going to put the hurt to the market. That being said, I'm not totally convinced at this point that that's actually, that that's actually going to happen. You know, they're talking as if they're going to do it, but the reality is they haven't done anything yet. And uh, it'll be interesting to see here within the next couple of fed meetings, whether they actually, you know, pull the trigger and say okay, we're going to raise interest rates a little bit um or we're going to completely quit quantitative easing um or whether they don't. One thing that I will say is they only have so much rope because if you hike interest rates and, and you know g- go back to that episode that James talked about and, and kind of listen to that because I talk a little bit more in depth about it. But I think once you hit like a 5% interest rate, you're effectively putting the federal government in a bind uh, where they can't service their own debt um, and you're forcing them into a bankruptcy state. Uh, So, you know, that makes it very tricky uh, for the Fed to actually raise interest rates to where they might have to go to to cool that
2: inflation off. Thank you both for those responses. Um, awesome information. Uh, it sounds like c- kind of what I'm extrapolating from that, and I'll, I'll let you get to the next caller. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll let you get to the – I thought there was another caller, but um, it almost sounds like you're saying as long as people in the markets don't panic over the actions that the Fed takes, as long as they don't view it as a – or really take direct action necessarily, um, then – it should stay okay. But like you're saying, it is a little bit more in an imbalanced state, but as long as there isn't too much widespread panic, am I sort of reading that right as a real, I guess, real boiled down version of (laughs) events to come potentially?
0: Yeah. I I mean, honestly, I think it's, um, yes, I I agree with what you're saying. As long as people aren't, aren't, you know, kind of pulling the panic button. If, if the fed does uh, start to, go in go from actual quantitative easing which they haven't done yet right they've they've tiered back their amount of easing that they're doing so they are reducing the amount of quantitative easing that they're doing but they haven't actually stopped adding money to the market yet um, as long and i 'm not totally convinced at this point that they're actually going to do that or that they're actually going to raise interest rates if they do raise interest rates and they do go to zero or even into a quantitative tightening um, place, then I do think that the market's going to get uh, is going to get creamed, and I think that the economy you you will see see a recession. Um, but I'm not totally convinced today, as we stand, that they're actually going to do what they say they're going to do.
2: Does that make sense? Yes, uh, classic rhetoric tactics. Um, I, I appreciate both your insights and uh, and all the answers you've given. Yeah, that that definitely does does make sense. Hope oh, fingers crossed. We we don't go to Another recession. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm with you there. <laughs> I'll I'll leave this speaker's position currently, but but again, thank you both. Have a good rest of your day.
1: You too, appreciate it. Uh I, I uh I did message you the link to that all the previous episode and then you just jumped down back to listeners, but if you check your messages, uh drop the link directly to that inflation episode and uh you know definitely take a listen. Uh I think there's a place now to leave comments, I believe so on episodes if you have questions or things there. You know, definitely drop them there. Uh, and, and always feel free to tune in on future episodes. We always love having folks come up and have an active discussion. So appreciate you, you know, jumping up and, um, you know, talking with us. Norm, I know we had uh, another caller in the queue. I think they dropped off um, out of the queue, but, you know, we can kind of wrap from here. Any final comments or, um, you know, anything after kind of that last question or as we've wrapped up around the futures markets? no no nothing nothing
0: specifically i mean i do I appreciate the uh the questions and the the conversation on this thing. I hope that everybody learned a little bit of something here i I do want to uh, I do want to point out that um, you were right i I did uh, speak a lot of technical speak there, and I think that maybe a future episode what we 'll do is we'll actually kind of dig down into uh, what some of that tech technical speak is to make that a little bit more um, understandable, uh, because it, it, it's kind of crazy when you start to get into some of these different, uh, different types of markets and mechanics and stuff like that. Um, it's almost a totally different language, uh, to be, to be speaking and understanding to, to, uh, know how to trade these things effectively. But, um, when you get right down to their kind of bare bones, they're, they're pretty simple. Uh, with a whole bunch of of fancy speak around it
1: that uh, is somewhat unnecessary as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll definitely have more episodes in the future, as Norm said, on a more in-depth breakdown on on some of these things to really, um, you know, we covered the mechanics today at a high level, but really jump in the weeds and talk about it. Uh, We really hope that this added some value. Uh, Talking about futures, maybe if you've been interested in it, but haven't made the jump, hopefully this gave you more context and and helps kind of as you're doing research and kind of mapping out how you want to start tackling uh, different investment strategies. Hopefully it provided some value, but we always appreciate everyone listening in. And, uh, you know, next week we'll be back with founder updates and and open forums. So, you know, tune in for that and come with questions and uh, everyone have a great rest of your weekend and thanks for
0: tuning in.